Day in 2011, Adele blitzes the charts, coming out of the gate with, with an explosive anthem. Perhaps the saddest breakup song since Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler. Every now, every now and then we fall apart. Adele said her heart was breaking as she wrote the song. It broke my heart when I wrote the record, so the fact that people are taken to their hearts is like the best way to recover. It's uh, not a good record to listen to if you're heartbroken, uh, Verity, because it's just so sad. You're there with tissues and you go, oh, life. I cried in the supermarket listening to this once. It was so embarrassing. An old lady stopped and gave me some tissues. (laughs) She was like, it's okay, babe, it'll get better. So every time now I hear this, I'm like, oh, Countdown Ponsonby. And it's just Countdown Ponsonby, Adele's home. Oh, yeah. You've got the tissues. Someone's walked up you and said, here we go, mate. Here, let's put up a bit. Here we go. This is Adele. Wow, I set fire to the rain and I threw up into flames. When we fell, something died. Phil O'Reilly. It's... Ugly, isn't it? It's a. It, she's. She did a great concert most recently at uh, uh, some Los Angeles, like a, an old uh, um, observatory or something in Los Angeles. I watched it on YouTube. Yeah. Unbelievable concert. She's so. She's so talented. She's the so best. charismatic as the well. Best. Oh, the best. Very charismatic. Isn't yeah. She? So yeah. charismatic and quite down to earth. Yeah. yeah. I think that's her entire appeal is basically getting on stage, being like, "I am one of you, but I can just sing." Yeah. Yes. It's amazing. You're on the panel on RNZ National. And she's a multi-millionaire. But let's yeah, apart from that. that. She's just like us. And does she pay the living wage? Oh, I'd love to know that. I bet you she doesn't. Well, I might try and email her and see if she yeah. does. Ask her to come on the panel. 20, 25 to 5, the panel on RNZ National. Wonderful to have your company uh, this afternoon. Another big news today. One NZ, or Vodafone, as it was called, as of yesterday, has reached a deal with Elon Musk's SpaceX satellite to provide 100% mobile coverage of New Zealand. Starlink made headlines here in Aotearoa during Cyclone Gabrielle and in the war in Ukraine, where traditional communications had not been available. Price is yet to be decided, but customers should not need new smartphones or any extra equipment. It is not receiving any public funding. Dr. Ulrich Spiedel is a senior lecturer in the School of Computer Science at the University of Auckland, knows this particular topic extremely well. Dr. Spiedel, kia ora. Kia ora. So a deal to provide 100% mobile coverage. How do you view this deal between One and SpaceX, Uruk? Uh, it's quite quite exciting news, actually. Um, uh, you know, I've uh, been a, a keen tramper for, uh, for a wee little while, and if you're out there in the woods, um, then uh, you've become aware very, very quickly that... Uh, um, uh, people uh, can disappear there if they haven't got a personal locator beacon and um, mobile phones often in remote areas don't work or if you come across a rural accident on a rural road or something like this. And this, I think, you know, is where it's going to you know, uh, make a huge, huge difference um, that um, you'll literally be able to uh, uh, call for help out, of, <laughs> out on the farm um, if you haven't normally got mobile coverage there. Um, so from that perspective, it's going to be really Oh, gosh. I never thought of that. I was thinking in terms of uh, major disasters, but even Uruk and, I mean, just the mere fact of tramping and going to remote locations just be extremely useful. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, imagine, you know, telling uh, telling the people who were meant to pick you up that you're going to be half an hour late or something like this and uh, uh, they won't have to worry <laughs> and that sort of thing, right? Verity. 
Um, kia ora, look. Um, I am interested in what Elon Musk is like as a potential overlord here. Would you be nervous about having him uh, having such a control and power over New Zealand's telecommunication mm. system? Um, not, not really. I mean, for starters, um, you know, he's only really going to augment something that's already there, the uh, one network or Vodafone network, as it used to be called. Um, I mean, they're, they're fairly large already and they're fairly substantial and they're getting into quite a lot of um, areas. And the, the, the idea with Starlink is really they're just meant to pick up um, in the spots uh, where there's not been any coverage so far. So, you know, if you were some, somewhere, you know, in, a, in an area where you previously got Vodafone coverage, then uh, you wouldn't really uh, be routed via Starlink at all because that uh, would be the least efficient way of doing things. Um, the other thing that we've got to keep in mind with uh, Starlink is that it's not really replacing what we're sort of, um, you know, come to you uh, come to f- uh, view as uh, your typical sort of mobile phone service. So um, uh, what um, uh, that uh, that is currently uh, about is mostly about things like sending texts and right. uh, maybe making a voice call, but not much more than that. And also for um, communicating with those Starlink satellites, you actually have to be outdoors. It's not going to work particularly well from from indoors or uh, from within a vehicle. Phil. Well, I should just declare an interest here that I, I work with uh, some of the rural ISPs, the Internet Service Providers, the Whisper Network. Oh, yes. I, know, I know they've they've talked today about concerns about predatory pricing here, and I don't know whether that's going to true or not. But this is an introductory offer that's about a tenth of the price that you'd normally get charged for for that service. And those little ISPs are are um, community-owned rural kind of ISPs that are that are serving their communities and have done for a long, long time. So I think one of the issues here will be just to make sure that you don't get an Elon Musk walking in, killing all that competition, and then saying, oh, my prices have gone magically up again. So just it, that happens a bit in New Zealand, some of that. So I think in my, I welcome competition. I welcome Elon Musk. I listened to him speak actually once uh, in uh, when I was at a conference, and he's certainly oh, did you? He's a much more complicated man. I, he, was on, he was online. I didn't, I didn't see him uh, face-to-face, but I certainly saw him live. And he is a much more interesting man than the newspapers make, it, make him out to be, actually quite a lot more complex sort of character. But having said that, as I say, so I welcome this new service. It's going to be great for us and it'll only improve over time so long as it's not a sort of a bit of an anti-competitive thing to cut out some competitors and then put the prices up later on. Jason Paris uh, from 1NZ Uruk said it would do away with the mobile communication issues experienced in the wake of Cyclone Gabrielle. Um, is that fair to say? Is it overhyping it or what? Well, it's certainly uh, it's certainly going to be part of the picture um, in the sense that it's good for making emergency calls, uh, sending texts, um, sending maybe uh, multimedia messages. But in terms of the um, uh, rural ISPs, uh, the, the the wireless ISPs, I don't think they're going to be competition for them for quite a number of years yet, uh, simply because the uh, satellites are in the vicinity of a hundred. Uh, uh, to several hundred times further away than your nearest cell phone tower, and um, that means that the um, uh, transmit power from your mobile that uh, actually reaches the satellite is much, much lower, and the current generation of Starlink satellites isn't you know, even able to receive them properly. So uh-huh. the service that we're talking about here will require the launching of new satellites, and it's very, very experimental at this stage. Um, so we're probably not going to be seeing what we sort of understand as you know, proper Internet service uh, f- uh, to your mobile phone, um, Got it. you know, until, uh, you know, probably, uh, you know, at least a few years down the road. Um, so, you know, we're probably looking at a time horizon of three, four years here and, uh, you know, minimum, I would, I would say.
It's, I know that it has been a bit of a game changer in Ukraine, Uruk. Uh, that was one early on when uh, you know uh, communications were really um, hampered by the Russian um, advancement, and it was quite um, you know significant there. Um, could it be a game changer here if we have? You know, things like a major earthquake or another major cyclone uh, a few years down the track, and we have Starlink up and ready. Um, absolutely, although I, I need to m- make a distinction here between uh, Starlink as an internet service, which has actually been available in, in New Zealand for quite some time now, um, and that you're looking at, you know, uh, I think about $160 a month uh, subscription for, uh, which is not a great deal of competition for wireless community internet service providers at this point in time. Um, and that's certainly something that I think is going to make a, make a difference. The other type of service, and this is what Vodafone or one uh, and that is that just started calling themselves. Um, are now talking about this is actually a direct to your mobile phone service. Um, the uh, the uh, Starlink internet service, the one that's been available for a while, that actually requires you to have um, uh, a, a terminal unit, and that is while it's portable, it's certainly not something that you'd want to have in uh, have in your back pocket. Um, you'd have a, have to have a fairly large backpack and a significantly uh, large uh, lithium battery with you in order to I be see. Able, able to operate that. Um, so that, those are two different animals. Very uh, good, Dr. Speedle. They the same satellite. <laughs> nice to have you on. That's uh, Eric Speedle there, uh, Senior Lecturer at the School of Computer Science, Auckland University, on the deal reached between SpaceX and uh, Vodafone, or 1NZ, to provide 100% mobile coverage in the country. With us now uh, on the line, we have Natalia from the Felt Princess wool shop in Dunedin who pays her staff $26 an hour. Natalia, kia ora. good to have you on the panel. Kia ora. How are you? How's, how's, how are things at the Felt Princess wool shop? Oh, it's been a bit tricky because, of course, it's been summer, so it's our quiet time. Oh, but um, it's coming into the winter now. It's starting to get a bit cooler down in here in Dunedin and people are starting to pick up their knitting needles. And you pay your staff 26 bucks, the living wage? I pay, I pay them the minimum, the, the, the living wage that is now, and when it goes up to $26, yeah. I will be. Why? Because as a person who's worked for the minimum wage, I know how hard it is to make ends meet. My husband works for minimum wage um, in his job, and I should pay my staff, you know, a, a living wage, enough for living, the bare minimum. And so you've decided to uh, do this, um, and to other employers, be it small or large, and I can imagine the Felt Princess Wall Shop is a is a is a smallish enterprise. What would you say to other employers? Well, the thing is, it is really hard to find the money for wages, no matter how much you pay your staff. Right. But if you value your staff, you should pay them what they need to live. That's the bottom line. Really nice to have you on, Natalia. And uh, I think we're all nodding here that when we're all going to come to Dunedin, each of us, Phil, Verity and myself, are going to stop into the, what is it, the Felt Princess Wool Shop and um, check in with you. Phil, I'll teach you to felt something.
Yeah, I've always wanted to, to do te- that. Teach me how to do that. That'd be great. Yeah, very yeah. good, Natalia. Nice. Thank you very much. That's Natalia there from the uh, Felt Princess uh, World Shop. It is 15 to 5. The panel, RNZ National. Are you more likely to buy something with green and brown packaging? Well, companies know it. Eco, biodegradable, planet conscious. Or used in product marketing, but these claims aren't necessarily true. How do you know when a product really has sustainability in mind and what can we do about it? In the EU, UK and Australia, regulators found 40 to 57% of environmental claims to be false across a wide range of products, clothes, food or drink, and they are implementing a crackdown to get rid of vague terms like eco or environmentally friendly. And with us is Gemma Rasmussen, Head of Research and Advocacy at Consumer NZ, wrote an opinion piece on this the other day. Kia ora, Gemma. Kia ora. It was uh, what, what I was thinking about when I first uh, saw this is, gosh, some of those labels now just go over my head because they're so ubiquitous, particularly things like environmentally friendly what does that mean anymore? It's, it's really vague. I think that the problem that we are currently facing, um, particularly for shoppers out there, is that there are companies who are trying to make strides um, in a positive direction and, and to be environmentally friendly. And there are companies which are cashing in on the fact that um, people will pay a premium for eco or green and environmentally friendly products. For our researcher, it took hours for them to verify what claims were unsubstantiated false and, and what claims were actually le- legitimate. So there's a real problem in the market right now where if a shopper is to go out, you know, you're in the supermarket, you're making snap decisions, it's actually very hard to differentiate what is a, a a true product with good intent, making good strides, and, and what is not. Who would know, Verity Johnson? Yeah, I know. Um, Gemma, I'm curious, is there any actual mechanisms for, like, punishing people or fining them or, like, exposing them if they do lie about their greenwashing credentials? And what are those mechanisms? Sure. So um, our current model relies on businesses heeding the Commerce Commission's environmental claims guidelines, and they're actually really good guidelines. They're very robust. They... Um, clearly outline the ways in which businesses should be truthful and specific. So there's no um, excuses from businesses at that end in terms of, oops, I've I've said the wrong thing. Um, But where the issue is, is that a business actually has to be reported to Commerce Commission and taken to court under the Fair Trading Act. And they could face a fine, it could be up to $600,000. you know, doing a dodgy green claim, but what you actually rely on is someone, whether that's a competitor or a member of the public, being able to say, this is a dodgy, dicey green claim, Commerce Commission, please investigate. And um, for many businesses out there, I think they would know that the risk of that is actually very low. Phil? Yeah, that's right. The Commerce uh, Commission very rarely investigates these kinds of things. So, but there are some other options uh, for people. Uh, you can, uh, for, for the advertising component, you can com- you can complain to the Advertising Standards Authority and the Complaints Board, and they they all do it for free. I say this is one of the first chairmen of that group. It's a self-regulatory process, but it's quick and free, so you can actually draw attention to it. But I, my sense is that. When I, I'm when I'm at the supermarket, so I'm buying laundry detergent or something. I've got, I've got no idea what's what's eco and what's not. Right? I mean, you wouldn't have a clue these days, would you? And I think there's a great opportunity here uh, for self-regulation of some of those manufacturers who can set up their own 
programs to say you need to hit these targets before you can say that or someone in the marketplace can do that because if I'm in doubt and if I have the time, I would tend to look for that. Is there some independent verification? Like there is with eggs, you know, there's an independent verification that the, 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 the chooks weren't harmed. So I think there, there's a big opportunity for some of that, I think, and I know consumer does a little bit of that consumer ticks kind of stuff, so there might be some options here in the in the greenwash area as well because complaining to a government agency is expensive and time-consuming and it's just not going to work in the real world. We need something quick and free and easy. Is that we? a fair point, uh, Gemma, something to work towards? I do. I can recall... Um you know, I used to buy things. Is it still around the hard tick? Yeah, that's right. Mm. You had the hard tick, and I used to buy because, you know, we had a family of hard history, and you could buy, and you just set a tick, and you go, okay, I'm going to buy that. So it was quite an easy thing as a shopper, Gemma, to get mm-hmm. your head around. Yeah, I think that that is potentially one option. There are a number of different ways to tackle this. I think one of the issues that we currently face in this marketplace is that um, the, the aisles are awash with certification schemes. So we looked yeah. at Rogers, which is a spice company, and there's a little, um, you know, a label on there which looks like a certification. That company has actually created that certification themselves and printed it and put it on their box. Wow. So, um, <laughs> what what you would require could be potentially something that's, that's government endorsed or something that would put it above a level of all the other certification schemes that are out there. We feel that there needs to be um, a multiple industry-wide investigation to understand exactly how bad the problem is in New Zealand and then based off that to potentially look at options because I think, you know, we've just done a little basket check here. We don't actually know how bad the problem is, but I I don't think that relying on shoppers to um, report the problem is, is the right way. Yes, well, I've bought, I've bought stuff uh, on the basis that um, the plastic covering was compostable because I was going through a home compost phase. I can tell you what, Jim, two and a half years later, it's the, compost, the plastic stuff is still on the top. I had to take it out. So that was a big uh, cross. Um, finally, Gemma, are we behind the times when it comes to greenwashing? I see that... Um, in the UK, they implement a crackdown to get rid of quite vague terms like eco or green. Are we behind the times? We are. I mean, if we look at the EU, UK and Australia, they've already done these multiple um, industry-wide investigations. They are now looking at implementing new laws, whether that's um, cracking down in, on sectors that are particularly bad, for example, fashion, or ensuring that um, you know vague terms are not able to be um, used in marketing, or you know potentially to ensure that any sustainability labels have actually been um, independently vetted by a third party. So there's really a lot of action that's happening overseas, and and what we do need is more resourcing to ensure that, you know, in New Zealand we can actually come, come, up, okay. come up to standard. Good on you, Gemma. Thank you for your time. That's Gemma Rasmussen there uh, from Consumer NZ. In terms of our greenwashing, there's quite a bit of it. She's saying in Aotearoa, compared to other countries, we need to crack down on it, is uh, her view. Now, finally, up and down the country, there are tiny towns that pack a big, punch from giant fish to viking battleships everything else in between these regional gems they really are worth a stop and there was a wonderful list published on was it stuff i think listed the best what they thought were the best small towns in each region now northwood was one that i hadn't heard of brilliant and you know we tried to get someone we we, we called everybody in northwood no one available because they're all busy 
Were you still were what, you speaking what, Norwegian? I don't know what I was speaking, but <laughs> but what happens in Norse with us? So busy anyway. So cross that off. Kaiteri, know that well. So forget that. Some Bathins, yep, done that. Or Hopi, lovely. But I thought, what's a really good one? What is a wonderful small town? And with me now is the deputy chair of the Tiaroha Business Association, Sean O'Neill. Sean, lovely to have you on the panel. Hi, Wallace. Thanks for the call. And yes, you definitely did pick the best one. Exactly. You see, um, uh, every year I used to go to your town and live it up with one of those spas. You can't get a spa like a a Teotihuahua house anywhere else in the country. This is quite unique in the world, in fact. The the mineral content and um, soda water that's in these geysers or coming out of the ground and you bathe in, it's crystal clear, it's got no smell to it, it's it's like full of magnesium, all the things you want for muscle recovery and all those sort of things, they're just fantastic. Have you had a Tiaraha spa, Phil? No. You come out um, uh, like a sleek fish. I've had a Tiaraha Macca's. Not quite as transformative. <laughs> of course, you've had a Macca's passing through. I'm talking about the real deal. I'm talking about the legendary Tiara House Farm. Um, there is another um, thing that you're really famous for. I'll bring you in Verity, and that is you were the first place in Aotearoa to have a fizzy drink. Am I right? Yeah, we had lemon and Tiaraha. Which oh. I know Pyroi, our Pyroi neighbours will probably, they treat us like the Aussies to a certain degree, but we definitely had the um, lemon and tiaraha rather than the um, lemon and pyro. There you so, go. Um, we were first there. We're, um, we're a great little town. It's not just the, the soda water, the domain is Edwardian sort of theme. It was the first place for New Zealand's tourism industry back in the day. People used to come yep. here By train. before the roads were built through to Rotorua. So this was the spa destination in the southern hemisphere. Verity. I don't think I've ever been. I'm now incredibly, incredibly keen to go. You've got to go. What happened to the drink? What, what happened to Lebanon Tauraha? It just sort of disappeared. We actually had about six bottling plants in this town in the, back in the heyday, in the 1800s. Um, all the miners oh, would come right. here and recover with the soda water spas and drink the water. Oh. But there is a business starting, starting it up again, and I think that uh, Lemon and Tioraha is sort of back, it's on, back the, on the radar. Yeah, yeah it's, it's back on the radar. That's right. This is a reminder, Phil, isn't it, about the the value that very, very small towns have Absolutely. in the country. I love them. Danny Verk, you know, Wama Mamana. Brilliant. Yeah. You know, the, um, Lake Ferry, the advantage, stunning. The advantage Wonderful. of these small towns is that you, you've you got the internet, you've got everything else, but you don't have the traffic. Like, I honestly live <laughs> 800 metres from my office and I drive to work. I drive home for lunch. It's just you drive, so oh, well, well, well. You drive, drive home for lunch. For lunch. Yeah. Because the bus yeah. is always yeah. late. Yeah. yeah. I'm, right. I'm <laughs> fantasising about that. they're fantastic places to live. They're got, we've got good internet. We're a nice, welcoming community. And if you've got any sort of skill, you can really you can make a difference. Well, I, love, I, love the fact I love the fact they've got a good old cup of tea shop, those towns. You know, there's, right. there's still a cup of tea and a ham sandwich with a tea towel over it. I just love that because I love those yeah, kinds of cafes. Yeah, we've got Ponzi now. 
<laughs> Don't get too ahead of yourself, uh, yeah, uh, Ryan. No, no. Uh, uh, international businessman. Um, <laughs> someone says, Tiaraha, it's a great day from Auckland. It's a good antique shop as well. Uh, it's only re- an hour and a half from Auckland. Centre of Auckland, hour and a half down at Tiaraha. Another one here, Wairua, completely underrated. Verity, so you ha- you have not been to Tiaraha? I... I thought Book it was, yourself into I a spa. In I'm, I'm serious. It really is because I'm a spa man. Yeah, and I go around the country having them, and you won't get a better spa. I don't know what they do. It's, it's natural, isn't it? The water's natural there. It's natural water, but there's no. It's not muddy or anything like that. It's crystal clear. It's got all the minerals. They when they back in the 1800s, they did analysis on it and said they likened it to the Parisian spas. Oh. Yeah, is it as beautiful? Are there going to be very glamorous French men, partially naked, high hanging around, having a cigarette? Can I come down for that? Potentially. Potentially. Yeah. Okay, you've convinced me. You've convinced me. Give us a heads up. <laughs> it's in the business plan, Sean. Um, finally, just before you go, um, you know, uh, is the future bright? Because you know, there's a there's a uh, ten seconds. There's a the cost of living. People are doing it tough. Oh, it's essentially bright here. We've got the cycleway, the Haraki cycleway comes through, so you can Good cycle from um, the Firth of Thames to Matamata. We've got the mountain, we've got walking, there's bush, there's rivers, there's, it's got everything going for it. Very good. Nice. Sean and Neil there from uh, Te Araha there. And wonderful panel to you both. Phil O'Reilly, Verdi Johnson, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Great to be here. Thank you. And to Tim Miller, my wonderful producer. Wallace Chapman here back tomorrow, 3.45 for the panel. Checkpoint with Lisa Owen next.